You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we have Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg on the line with us. And Phil is the host. He was there, did that, done that, and uh, knows what he's talking about. But before we get started, we're going to do what we normally do, and that is have a moment of silence. In memory of those that have gone before us, that have given the, the ultimate sacrifice, and also those that are on active duty now. And we want to keep them in mind as we want to keep those that uh, have fought in the past in mind. All of our wonderful veterans and those uh, that I, I want to mention, the uh, DAV as well as the uh, Paralyzed Veterans of America and all of those that need our prayers and our thoughts. And we'll be back right after this. Anna Jody. Thank you. As everybody knows, we love those Jodies and have to start out, get our blood pressure going, get our blood, our uh, rate up there, our pulse going. And um, Phil, it's good to be here and it's good to have you on again talking about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, David, and I hope you're the same. Yes, sir. And it's a beautiful day and. Uh, there has been a little clip in the air of fall coming our way, I think. So it's a beautiful day, though, and any time I get up and I'm vertical, it's a good day. So I'm pleased to be here with you, and I'm always honored to be with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg. And um, Phil makes the show. He was there, did that, done that, and... Uh, knows what he's talking about regarding uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And he's also a service officer with the DAV. And as we have learned over the months, how important service officers are for both the veteran and for the veteran's families. And uh, we're always looking for uh, new things that have come out or whatever is going on with uh, the benefits for veterans. 
And there, if you didn't know this, there are a slew of benefits that are available for veterans. And uh, we would encourage the veterans to uh, call their service officers or whether it's a VFW or DAV or whatever it happens to be, call them and find out what you're entitled to because you deserve it. You raised your hand and you sacrificed and wrote a blank check to our government and uh, they owe you for your service. So don't hesitate to call and be sure that you have your paperwork where you know where it is. And uh, that's so vitally important today. So, with that being said, I've, I've already taken up some of your time, Phil. <laughs> well, David, yeah, um, thank you for mentioning uh, uh, service officers and uh, disabled American veterans. Um, our goal is, is to, to serve veterans and to get them the benefits they've earned through their service. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, the one thing I like best about uh, working uh, as a, uh, a volunteer service officer with the, the DAV is and it's veterans helping veterans. Um, that said, uh, you know, I've been uh, giving some thought about <clears throat> what we might talk about today, and uh, I'm sort of reminded of, of some of the the really uh, excellent equipment that we had uh, that we used first time in combat we used uh, in Desert Storm and uh, it turned out to be uh, some pretty excellent stuff uh, chief among those I think well first one that comes to mind anyway, I won't call it the chief but um, but is this uh, multiple launch rocket system that we had uh, just fantastic uh, i <clears throat> not an artilleryman myself, and you know, as I was coming up, as they say, the um, artillery was primarily uh, what we call tube artillery or, or cannons, and uh, this multiple launch rocket system sort of changed the whole uh, paradigm of uh, of artillery. Um, it, it could actually put. Uh, uh, it, it, it could destroy, if they salvo that thing, it, it would destroy an entire grid square, which is uh, a thousand meters by a thousand meters. Wow. Uh, nothing living inside that uh, grid square after, after impact. And um, just really devastating. I uh, had the experience of uh, watching uh, or, you know, witnessing from the air, uh, the, the launch of those multiple launch rocket systems, and it just devastating. And I'm sure that on the business end, where those rounds were landing, um, was probably even more exciting. You know, you brought up a fact about the tube, and uh, is that were you referring to the 105 howitzer? Well, of course, there were. There were the Army's had a uh, host of different howitzers. They were, the 105 is kind of a small one, um, but uh, they have they also have uh, 155 millimeter howitzer, 
And then, uh, of course, they had the 8-inch. And uh, the 8-inch howitzer, I think, <clears throat> I think they took those out of the active force uh, while I was on active duty. I don't know if there were any 8-inch uh, units around. Um, and, uh, of course, you can go bigger than that. The uh, You know, on, on the battleships, like the uh, Missouri, and uh, they had 16-inch uh, guns. Um, I think we ever had those in the army um too difficult you kind of need a battleship to transport <laughs> those things around so uh we didn't didn't have those in the army i've, I've uh, never seen a portable battleship yeah uh well you know battleships are mobile you know if you got the time uh, and the water and the water <laughs> yeah they do they do require a certain amount of water i'm i'm not a naval officer myself but uh that much i know about naval operations they, they float in the water um <clears throat> but uh and then the other day i was watching uh uh the army game they played uh west point played uh against um miami ohio uh last week and uh when they they were at mikey field in west point when, when west point scored they fired this little howitzer. Uh, in that one, it was. Uh, I think they stopped using that either in, in uh, World War Two or maybe Korea. That was that was a seventy-five millimeter. I think they called it a pack howitzer. Hmm. Um, you couldn't. It was not man transportable by pack, but I think you could take it apart and put it in uh, uh, pieces. You could put it on uh, about two or three mules uh, and and carry that up a mountainside with that uh, going back to your multiple rocket launcher is that built by the same people that built the uh, anti-missile launchers I'm not exactly sure who who manufactured the MLRS it might have been Raytheon Raytheon uh, that's what I was thinking about yeah um I, I could have that wrong. As I said, I'm, not, I'm neither uh, a naval officer nor, nor an artillery officer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to speak out of, out of school on there, but I was very, very impressed with uh, with that multiple launch rocket system. Well, what kind of distance did they have? Or do uh, they have? I mean, huge huge range on that thing i uh, i don't know the, the max range but uh let's just say the folks that i saw launching were well back in saudi arabia and uh, they were launching deep into iraq um and it uh those things um just just amazing and then uh, another piece of equipment we had of course the m1 uh abrams tank First, we first use of that in, in combat was in Desert Storm, and that just was amazing. The uh, the Republican Guards, uh, which was their their uh, elite units, uh, they they used the uh, Soviet T seventy two, which was an export tank, um, and then their regular units, I think, had the T sixty. Uh, um, Tanks, which were um, 
kind of a, an older technology, but uh, I had one uh, one M1 tanker tell me that uh, as they were making their rapid advance into Iraq, uh, of course that that uh, the M1 had a gyro stabilized uh, gun, so you could actually shoot on the move with that thing. Uh, had a lot of computer uh, components to it, uh, automatic loader. Uh, it was it was fast on the uh, on the on the ground and it was fast on the draw. It could rapid fire. He told me they came up over a berm and there were five uh, Iraqi tanks. You know, at that time they were trying to retrograde over the the berm behind them, and uh, one of them let off a, a tank round at the M1, and uh, it missed. And uh, this M1 was able to shoot and destroy all five Iraqi tanks before they could get over that next berm. Wow. Just fantastic firepower. Uh, it had a 105-millimeter uh, smoothbore uh, gun, main gun, that uh, fired a, like a fin-stabilized projectile, I think. Just amazing, the M1 tank. Dad, in, this, in the Kabul disaster... Did did we leave any of the M1s behind? I don't think so. I don't. Uh, I don't think we had any tank forces there. To tell you the truth, and, you know, just like uh, artillery moved from from cannons into these rockets, uh, a lot of tanks uh, we replaced. Uh, you know, as as the nature of the warfare that we anticipate we'll have to fight has. Uh, has you know changed or you know we reformulated what we're doing um, they moved actually from the the m1 tank to uh, something they call a striker which is actually a uh, kind of a, a wheeled vehicle uh, has these massive uh, tires on it and I don't know if they're I guess they have to be solid or something but uh, yeah they're uh, uh, advances all the time. The uh, the striker I'm familiar with I saw it uh, at uh, in Missouri at uh, oh, Fort Leonard Wood, and uh, I was just thinking about the M1 with the way our administration works. Uh, Biden will probably put a stamp on one and and mail it to uh, the Taliban because he wouldn't want wouldn't want them to be left out of anything, you know. Yeah, wouldn't want them to be at a disadvantage. Right. Well, <laughs> I, <clears throat> I don't know. But uh, let's see, what else did we have? Well, we had Apaches, of course. Well, the the Striker sort of uh, replaced the uh, armored personnel carrier too, because they were getting the IEDs were playing hell with them. Whereas the Striker, that thing is incredible. I'm not sure what can blow it up. Yeah, of course. I, <clears throat> this wasn't uh, this wasn't Desert Storm, but uh, I did talk to a fellow who had just come back from Iraq somewhere around 2004, 2005 time frame. He was an M1 tanker, and he said they were in their tank one day, and they heard this noise outside, and they opened the hatch and found out that some suicide uh, attacker had. Uh, driven his minivan into the side of the M1. 
um, killed himself. Um, I think made a pretty good scratch in the paint on the M1. That's incredible. I love the story. <laughs> That's um, you know. Yeah, but, uh, let's see. We we did have the Apache uh, attack helicopter, and I was. Uh, I was the uh, intel officer for the first Apache squadron we had in the Army, and um, was a, uh, I wasn't in an Apache unit when I went to Desert Storm. I was uh, flying surveillance airplanes, but the uh, the, uh, the Apache, we actually had uh, stories of uh, Iraqi prisoners about a company worth trying to surrender. Uh, to an Apache helicopter, which of course had no <laughs> had no capability of, of taking these uh, you know fifty or so guys, and they they had to kind of lead them back to where they could surrender to some of our ground troops. Um, but that Apache, you know, it it had a great uh, uh, role in that in that theater. It, it actually kicked off the war. Um, they flew. Uh, they flew all the way back in up close to Baghdad with that thing before the hostilities uh, kicked off, and they uh, they blew up their main main uh, air defense terminal that had basically allowed them to you know see and shoot at any of our uh, aircraft. So that when we, just before we kicked off the air war, uh, we took out their uh, their ability to to see our airplanes and. Uh, so that was that was kind of a, a wonderful uh, uh, way to kick things off. Um, we uh, then we had uh, <clears throat> all sorts of new equipment. We had we had something called a Hemet, and that comes from some sort of uh, acronym. I can't remember what Hemet stood for, but uh, it. Uh, they had different versions of this Hemet. Some of them were, were just uh, cargo trucks, and some of them were uh, wreckers, and some of them were uh, were fuel haulers. And uh, but these things were they were uh, they had eight wheels on them, and they were eight wheel drive, big, huge tires, and and uh, the you know the the front and back axles were articulated so it could turn really sharp, and that thing could just clip across the desert without any uh, without any road uh, and that was that was really a great invention uh, in addition to our forces Wow, I've never seen one would, would you say, you know, we've, we've added a new term to our dictionary of terms, I suppose, and the Apache would be one of them that would fit this bill I think over the horizon. Well, um, yeah, uh, of course. Uh, over the horizon, I think, uh, means you don't have to have eyes on the target. You know, we can use satellites or, or unmanned aircraft or that type of thing. But uh, the Apache in, in Desert Storm required... Uh, Required some eyes on, and uh, of course, uh, a lot of our special forces and uh, you know forward deployed units had um, had these um, 
laser designators. And uh, so uh, similar to an artillery call for fire, they'd work out the, the details uh, from the observer to the Apache, and uh, they would have actually a, an encoded laser that would uh, reflect off the target, and it, it wouldn't be visible, uh, a visible light spectrum, but the, uh, the seeker on that Hellfire missile could find that spot where it's being reflected off the target, and, uh, well... It, it could hit a, a gnat's bottom uh, <laughs> pretty easily, and uh, the Hellfire was extremely effective. Um, I know that during our engagement uh, in Iraq, uh, subsequently uh, to topple Saddam and later, uh, the main uh, vehicle of choice for the uh, for our enemies. Uh, were uh, these white Toyota pickup trucks and they use a, a Hellfire missile on that it would sometimes go right between the driver and the passenger right through the floor and explode in the ground below so they fitted a, a blast sleeve on that uh, um, on the Hellfire missile which was designed and very effective to punch through uh, armor now it, it would uh, radiate uh, its destructive force uh, radiate outward from the uh, from the missile, and uh, was effectively used against. Uh, the Hellfire missile has been around for years, hadn't it? Yeah, um, over thirty years. Wow! And they they initially were Air Force, weren't they? No, I think I think it was initially designed for use uh, on the AH-64 Apache helicopters. Hmm. Um, that's the first use of it I knew of. Well, I'm sure you're right. I I I can stay and confused anyway. Let's take a break right now. We'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg right after a couple of messages. Hi, this is Rocky Blair former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. 
Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, we've got Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Farsberg on with us, as always. He's our expert on Desert Shield and Desert Storm and always a delight to talk to. And you have some more uh, equipment information, I believe, Phil. Well, uh, you know, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't a brand new piece of equipment and it had been used in combat before, but I think, I think it might have been the first, maybe, uh, maybe Panama was the first, uh, combat use of the, of the D model Chinook, but, uh, that thing is an amazing aircraft. Uh, Boeing just builds the best aircraft, uh, that I'm aware of, uh, well, with certain other notable exceptions uh lockheed makes some pretty good stuff but uh that that uh chinook uh can lift uh oh over sixteen thousand pounds you know eight tons it can just snatch it up by a hook and and take it wherever but the 101st uh airborne division they they put the entire division 150 kilometers in the enemy rear uh, just prior to the ground hostilities. And in order to do that, they borrowed other Chinooks in theater. They didn't have all this many organic to them, but I'm told they had 100, 100 Chinook helicopters in the air at one time. Wow. Going deep into Iraq. Hmm. It's just an amazing, amazing uh, amount of uh, logistics and and. And firepower, manpower that you could—if uh, you get that kind of enemy in your in your rear area, you got you got serious trouble. Um, I was just—these are the things that just impressed me so much. Let me—I want to ask something on the other side of the coin, so to speak. But you know, I'm the first to bow and salute our military. I and the officers and the non-coms. But, you know, we've, we've flexed our muscle a couple of times, and we flexed it in uh, Desert Storm. And just like uh, the uh, atrocity of leaving behind some of our most advanced technology in Afghanistan, what, what in your opinion... What is this doing for our enemies? Well, you know, in terms of uh, something like, uh, you know, a Black Hawk helicopter, I think they'd probably be able to use it for a little bit, but uh, it, it really requires a pretty robust maintenance program to keep those things in the air. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be sending them any uh, repair parts uh, <laughs> or uh, maintenance manuals. So uh, my feeling is that th- those things will become uh, lawn ornaments eventually if they have any grass anywhere in Afghanistan. Um, it, there's <clears throat> there's some danger of that, you know, being transferred to uh, countries that are 
less than friendly with us that uh, may want to reverse engineer some of the stuff or, or you know, try to take these things apart and, and uh, um, you know, learn some of our technology. But uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that uh, it'll have that much... Um, that much impact uh, on forces. Uh, you know, we, um, yeah, that stuff's kind of been out there, and I think, you know, through other means, they've already figured out how these things work. So uh, I really think that the impact that would be not, uh, not highly significant uh, to our. Um, our enemies you know i read a book one time about uh, world war ii and and uh one of the things that the germans uh, this was uh germans were german officers were quoted in the book and and they said one of the reasons that germany didn't win was that america didn't play fair and and wasn't didn't use the tactics that every other commanding or every other country had used in the past. And uh, it totally totally threw them off guard. They thought we were going left and we went right. They thought we were going right and we went left. And uh, some of it was planned and some of it was just happenstance. But, you know, as far as our tactics go, do you think we've exposed ourselves in any way to our capabilities, uh, just like the end around that uh, Schwarzkopf did. Well, you know, uh, if you're a football fan, you, uh, you've probably seen as many different plays uh, as can be concocted within the, the limits of the rules of that game. Uh, so the question is... Uh, are you able to exert your will uh, and enforce your will on your opponent? Uh, or, you know, can you uh, deceive him into thinking you're going to do something that's completely different from what you are going to do? Um, you know, I think about uh, Operation Overlord, uh, the invasion of Normandy, uh, and the return of our forces. Uh, allied forces to the European continent uh, they uh, they used uh, George Patton uh, to uh, be the head of this uh, fictitious uh, army group that uh, it was quite an elaborate hoax and they got them believing that uh, everything was going to happen at the Pas de Calais and you know by the time uh, Hitler realized that that was the main effort uh, at Normandy. Uh, it was really too late to do anything about it. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's a lot goes into uh, strategy, and uh, I'm uh, more of a tactician than a strategist. Um, uh, so I can, you know, I can tell you to how to work at the at the uh, tactical level. A little bit at the operational level, but I'm not. I'm nowhere near in the strategic level of uh, warfare. And uh, there's, but, uh, I think, 
that uh, we need to learn from history and, and learn, you know, who's been successful and, and what's made them successful. And, you know, uh, we can think outside the box, but sometimes there's a reason for the box. And I guess that one advantage that we have is we've got the most dynamic force on ground that is covered by our fantastic air force above ground and the coordination of the two. And then you throw in the Navy that's offshore that can launch from miles and miles away. It's uh, quite a coordinated effort. And... Uh, yeah. I don't know of any country uh, that would really want to take us on in our full battle gear. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about American soldiers not, you know, not fighting by doctrine or whatever and confounding the enemy. You know, one of the things that's, that's really important that, you know, we've learned is everybody... Uh, from the lowest level on up, needs to know what is the intent of the commander. What 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 does he hope to accomplish? Right. What is the real goal? And they find themselves when the, you know, they say that no plan ever ever survives the the first uh, mortar round in the talk. And uh, you know, if if that if that GI knows what the ultimate mission is. And he's going to do whatever it takes to uh, to accomplish that mission, or his part of it anyway. And uh, and that's the real strength, you know. When I went through infantry school at, at Fort Benning, they told us uh, that the ultimate weapon was the American fighting man. I I couldn't agree more. Except, and now you have to put in and a woman. But, you know, it's, uh, and I, I think this is part of our capitalistic system. We don't have any, uh, pardon me, you, you were breaking up there, Phil. I've basically lost you. Do uh, Phil? Do you want to call back in? Well, I think for the time being we have uh, lost Colonel Forsberg. Um, let me uh, let me get. I'm gonna cut him off from the board and uh, get Brett in here. And uh, we'll try hooking up with uh, Colonel Farsberg in just a minute. And uh, if Brett will come in. Brett. Yep. Okay. Were you saving? I just, you just went away. Okay, folks, uh, we're going to try to get uh, 
Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg back on the line with us talking about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And while, we're, while we've got you, um, there's something else that I want to mention, and that is the fact that uh, if you see someone in the military or an EMT, for that matter, or first responder in the airport or any place, and it's a situation where you can offer to buy them a cup of coffee or a donut or whatever, the or breakfast or dinner or whatever, do it. And you'll think, well, they will really appreciate this, and they do. But you'll get the biggest reward out of it, that I guarantee you. You'll feel good the rest of the day and the rest of the week that you have passed it on and um, that, uh, you know, it's really a reward to you, and it makes you feel so good to have passed on something to uh, one of our service members or a veteran. He's on. Okay, well, let's... uh, Okay, let me transfer you back in. Okay, Phil, are you there? You are there. Good. I don't know what happened, but uh, you broke up some and then went away. Yeah. You... uh Something happened with our connection because uh, you, we were doing okay, and then uh, suddenly uh, you started speaking in Morse code. <laughs> well, that would be hard for me to do because I never conquered Morse code. That was uh, and equally hard for me to understand because I never studied it. Yeah, I, I just that was uh, uh, my dad. Even he was in the navy. He was a captain in the navy, and. Even as I was growing up, after he had been out of the Navy for years, he still remembered his Morris Code, and part of it was due to the fact that he had been an Eagle Scout and had had to learn it. And uh, I just never, I don't know, I couldn't get the dots and dashes down right, but uh, I don't guess I have to now. I'm too old to do anything anyway. But, you know, speaking of that... uh, the uh, tap code, I'm, I'm always amazed at any of the folks we have on from uh, Vietnam that turned out to be, unfortunately, prisoners of war. But the tap code that they learned when they were in the Hanoi Hilton or in other uh, places that they could use it was just, it couldn't be Morris code, so they had to come up with their own code. And uh, they did, the tap code. And uh, I'm just... I'm always blown away at talking to any of the uh, POWs that that were in uh, the Hanoi Hilton or or prisoners in Vietnam. So, let's get back to. Uh, oh, you have a couple other things you want to talk about besides uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, I believe. Well, uh, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, disabilities that. Uh, that uh, our veterans uh, can uh, can claim, um, you know, we talk about uh, Morse code. Uh, I, you know, I worked with a veteran recently whose job it was to uh, listen and intercept and uh, transcribe Morse code, and um, you know, she uh, she wound up with some. Uh, 
difficult, very uh, debilitating uh, uh, tinnitus, hearing uh, issues, of ringing in the ears from you know hours and hours of sitting position and and transcribing uh, Morse code. Um, you know that that's the kind of thing that can be claimed and compensated by the VA. Um, and just this morning, I I was working with a fellow who uh, has. Uh, number of conditions that were brought on from from agent orange and he's uh he never uh went to vietnam he served during vietnam but uh during his uh training at fort leonard wood missouri uh he told me that uh they came by with airplanes and sprayed um agent orange there at fort leonard wood and uh now he's uh he's having trouble getting the VA to uh, acknowledge this and uh, unfortunately I think you know my my little bit of research I did on it I found out that uh, the Army did cha- train its chemical troops uh, on herbicide there at Fort Leonard Wood and uh, it's not a far-fetched story um, you know they have they have presumptive areas. If you if you served in these various areas, uh, they'll presume that you were uh, exposed to Agent Orange, and that includes all of Vietnam, uh, the inland waterways, and uh, up 12 miles off the coast, um, and certain uh, 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 U.S. Army installations in Thailand and uh, uh, Royal Thai Air Bases in Thailand. Uh, if you had regular perimeter duty, apparently they kept the jungle back using this Agent Orange. And even uh, for a, uh, a period uh, in the demilitarized zone in Korea, um, working with a veteran, getting his claim substantiated because of his service in the DMZ in, in uh, the 1960s in Korea. So, uh, you know, you, you look at why, <clears throat> how, how did they... How do they award this? Well, they award certain uh, conditions, diseases and conditions that uh, they've accumulated through a database. And uh, the database is on a registry. And so they've had enough uh, data from uh, Vietnam veterans and and, uh, Vietnam-era veterans that they could uh, confidently say that... uh, Agent Orange exposure, for instance, uh, uh, can bring on diabetes type 2. It can bring on um, uh, Parkinson's, uh, prostate cancer, a number of cancers. And uh, they got this all through uh, these, uh, this database. And, uh, and now there are other databases out there they're collecting information on. Um, there's a database for... Um, uh, airborne hazards and the burn pits, uh, and those go all the way from Desert Storm until you know recent conflict, not only in uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Kuwait, um, but also uh, Afghanistan and uh, and certain parts of uh, the Horn of Africa. So, um, if you served in any of those places during those periods, I highly encourage veterans to go and uh and sign up for the uh for the airborne hazards registry uh there's there was a gulf war 
syndrome, they've come up with certain uh, uh, conditions that they say are presumptive to those who have uh, served in Desert Storm. And some of the environmental factors there include, uh, you know, burning of, of waste, uh, the oil well fires, and uh, uh, depleted uranium rounds that were being fired. Uh, you know, the A-10 uh, was pretty good at chewing up uh, tanks and other vehicles, but it, it uh, part of its effectiveness was firing these depleted uranium rounds. They weren't used for for radioactivity, they were used because of the density of, of that metal, and uh, but uh, apparently also has its effect on the people who are uh, in that environment. Um, there's even a registry. Uh, there was the water system at uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, was contaminated for a number of years back in the 80s, and uh, there's registry of. Uh, of those who might have served at Camp Lejeune during those times. And so it's important for veterans to, to register, you know, for these databases and uh, to allow the VA to track their uh, their health conditions because uh, uh, it's uh, the benefit accrues to uh, veterans in the future who, you know, will submit claims and, they, and they'll be able to... Uh, effectively say this uh, was or was not Sir, uh, you, caused by these environmental factors. Do you know my if personal, they, I'm sorry. My personal feeling on the whole thing, David, is if I can if I can cost the money for having sprayed poison on our soldiers, then uh, maybe they'll think twice before they do that again. Maybe. Uh, do you know offhand if the uh, National Archives and the personnel administration have opened back up the uh, personnel administration where our records are kept and uh, not to my knowledge uh they you know there are certain things that they'll, they'll say well you you know we can get your records if you're uh critically ill or in danger of being homeless um but other than that they're still working at a snail's pace mostly remotely that's just absurd and uh Whoever listens to this, listening right now or listening in the future, contact your representatives, your senator, your House of Representatives. And best I can come up with, raise hell that we open up the National Archives and the Personnel Administration in that, and I think you'll back me up on this, they are literally killing people. And when I say that, if someone with Agent Orange or the burn pits or whatever the circumstance might be, and the VA has said, well, you've got to prove that you were in this area and you can't get a hold of your records, and it's going to be three months, six months, a year, whatever, then this is wrong. And, it, and it's not just medical. It's everything else that has to do with your personal 201 record, whether it's uh, inoculations or, or whatever the case might be. Maybe you just need to prove that you were in the military and they have your record and you don't. So please, please get on your representative and your senator to get this. It's, it's absolutely, to me, deplorable that our government can let down our veterans like this. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm, I'm just just researching here the different registries uh, that people can uh, uh, veterans can sign up for uh, the Agent Orange registry, the Airborne Hazards and Open Burn Pits registry, Gulf War registry, including uh, Iraqi Freedom and New Dawn, uh, ionizing radiation registry, depleted uranium follow-up program and the toxic embedded fragment surveillance center all these things there uh, are registries essentially for for veterans to uh, to register that you know they served under these conditions and uh, what health concerns they've had and if they can draw a nexus if they can if they can have statistical data to show that certain things are, are caused or, you know, indicate, the data indicates that they are caused by these things, and then uh, those can be added uh, to the law and veterans can be compensated uh, for that. And it, and it brings on, you know, a host of other benefits if you have uh, a, a disability rating uh, for things like uh, aid and attendance and... Uh, for uh, certain uh, vocational uh, rehabilitation and uh, other benefits. But uh, it's very important that veterans get attuned to the benefits that are in the law and have been uh, prescribed for them uh, and that earned by them through their service. And uh, I encourage veterans to get involved in their local veteran organizations, the American Legion, the VFW, the uh, DAV, and, and others. Phil, can most or some of this be done online, or do they need to... Uh, oh, most all of it can be done online. Uh, I would suggest that uh, they start by just typing in va.gov, and then there's a little magnifying glass search engine, and you can you can type in uh, environmental health registries, uh, and uh, you'll get to to a page that'll show you all these things. But uh, your va.gov will will describe all the benefits for you. But some a lot of veterans uh, find it difficult to to navigate the system, and if you contact your local uh, veteran service organization, they'll be happy to explain to you what's available to you. Besides your uh, DD-214, what else, uh, and I guess the service officer will be able to tell you what else you'll need paper-wise, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, what's important on the DD-214, it, it tells, of course, uh, when you entered service, when you left service, which service you were in, uh, certain things like uh, campaign ribbons. Uh, if a guy shows me his DD-214 and he's got VSM on there, that's that's the Vietnam Service Medal. And so uh, if he has that on there, that means that he served in Vietnam. And, and those are known as, uh, as campaign ribbons. And, and those, uh, essentially, the award of that uh, is all he needs to show, um, you know, Agent Orange exposure. Uh, now, in addition, it, it's critically important uh, for, in many, many cases to have, for the veteran to have his uh, 
military treatment records, uh, hospitalizations and sick calls and medications that have been prescribed and, and uh, conditions that have been diagnosed by the military. Also, a lot of veterans serve in areas where there are no major medical uh, facilities. And, you know, the examples that come to mind for me are um, recruiters. You know, recruiters can be, uh, you know, in any of the states and communities that don't have any major military installations nearby. And therefore, they'll be told if they have a health concern, you know, to go see a civilian practitioner. And uh, when they get their military medical records, uh, the the diagnoses and the treatments from these civilian practitioners will will not be included. So they need to assemble those, uh, get complete records of anything for which you were treated on active duty if it was not in a military medical facility. Very, very important. These things help document your case. In case it is, and, uh, you know, what I've, I've been proud to uh, know that uh, many of our nurses that served in Vietnam that obviously weren't necessarily in the field, but they're suffering from Agent Orange, and that's from cutting off uniforms that have been sprayed with Agent Orange, and they got it by happenstance, not by direct exposure but indirect exposure and yet you know agent orange is agent the effects of agent orange it doesn't matter whether you were in the field or you got it from somebody's uniform you still got it yeah and just having been in vietnam doesn't mean you had to be slogging through rice paddies just meant you were in vietnam uh and you had that vietnam service medals which is proof enough than uh, if you were back at a hospital, if you were a clerk in Saigon, it all qualifies. Um, now, <clears throat> and I'm working with uh, two of my friends who are both uh, academy graduates from West Point, and uh, I asked them about their health. You know, one has shoulder problems, and the other has knee problems. And I said, well, you know, when did these start? And they said, well, this... This wouldn't qualify because, you know, the one, he had been recruited to uh, West Point to play hockey, and he had injured his shoulder, and they'd done surgery on his shoulder at West Point. And then uh, the other, um, you know, was recruited to play football, and he injured his knee, and they did surgery there at West Point. And I had to tell him that the law says you're covered, you know, on, on these, these disabilities if they're incurred as a cadet or a midshipman at one of the service academies, then that, that is a service-connected injury. I sure didn't know that. Well, it's you know, interesting. what Yogi Berra said, you can observe a lot from looking. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yogi was no dummy, was he? <laughs> but he had some very wise sayings. Um. That that's interesting, though. I I think that's uh, would it have to be uh, during wartime or at no. any time? Not at all. Okay. Um, you know, I've got disabilities uh, claims that were substantiated for guys that uh, were injured at uh, basic training, and they never 
They never completed basic training. They were put out with uh, less than uh, the minimum number of days uh, to qualify as a veteran, but um, they, uh, the reason that they were put out was the injury that they occurred, incurred at, uh, on active duty, uh, however short period it might have been there, they qualify for a service-connected disability. Again, I sure didn't know that. Isn't it 160 consecutive days of active duty? No, I think it's 180. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not either. <laughs> but uh, more than I have. So it uh, there, there's a rhyme and a reason for everything. And the military has figured out that rhyme and reason. and But I do give them credit for more and more. Well, it was more and more. It's probably less and less today than it was uh, nine months ago. But uh, the, the respect and the recognition of our veterans is extremely important to me. And uh, I like what was going on nine months ago as compared to what's going on today. Did you see well you sent it to me the thing on the mail? Yep. That just absolutely deplorable that uh, ten pallets worth of mail was never delivered in the VA and it just we have to take care of our veterans or we'll wind up with a situation of not having veterans because nobody will want to serve. And yet, I think we've got some of the finest young men coming up that are ready and willing to serve. And they're finally seeing that, you know, it's, uh, it's more of a job, an occupation than it is or it has been in the past. And I know, as I mentioned many times, I have a son that's a major in the Air Force, and he's very proud of what he's doing, and he's very satisfied with what he's doing and what the Air Force is doing for him. And uh, it's uh, right now he's on maternity leave. (laughs) So it's... uh, a strange thing for a guy to be on maternity leave, but uh, just like in corporations, the military, the Air Force, is giving the same respect to a father that it does a mother and uh, taking care of their own. And I must say I am a proud grandfather of a, a little grandboy that's going home today, as a matter of fact, so... It's all it's all good, but the military. If 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 you're listening, you're a grandparent, a a parent, or you happen to be a a kid skipping uh, school today and listening. Look at the military for a career. It can be fabulous, and it can be so rewarding you'd have no idea, and you'll make friends that will be lifetime friends, and. You know what we got to do? We got to get out of here. Phil, thank you very much for today, and uh, we look forward to uh, 
next week. Thanks, and- David. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.